Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorization number TP slash 01005. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. He's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. Marina, New Zealand, good morning to you and uh, I hope uh, your Tuesday is going to be a very successful one. Uh, in the next three hours we will be focusing on uh, some sailing, some uh, women's rugby, uh, the football ferns, we've got a panel, uh, we've got all sorts of uh, stuff coming through including a Mount Rushmore as well, John Day's last Mount Rushmore uh, before he leaves us on uh, Thursday lunchtime. Uh, I can also give you two little bit of snippets of information. Yeah, I can confirm that that uh, PGA and uh, New Zealand PGA uh, have announced that there will be a pro am, uh, pro am, and that will be at Millbrook on the second and third of April. So more on that throughout the morning. And as Emma was reading out the news about Moana Pacifica trying to do all they can uh, to get their game underway against the Chiefs this weekend, uh, word has come through that that game has been postponed. Uh, so we'll get more on that throughout the morning as well. But uh, in the meantime, let's get stuck into it. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, the shark Greg Norman was a brilliant golfer, no doubt. 91 tour wins worldwide. 331 weeks ranked number one in the world. World Hall of Golf fame inductee. Millions upon millions in earnings on course. Probably more off it. Had a slight reputation, though, for choking come the majors. Uh, only won two, finished second and seven, captured the Open Championship twice, but could not win the big ones on American soil. And it looks for all intents and purposes as if he's lost again in competition for the big ones. Uh, Dustin Johnson and Bryson DeChambeau are the latest decline as Norman is the front man for a proposed new breakaway Saudi league in golf, running direct competition to the PGA Tours operating now. It's Saudi-based. They won't run out of money. They've got much more in their backyard than Jed Clampett bubbling to the top. They just can't seem to buy the commodity they need the most. Players. One after the other, the big names are opting to stay with tradition. It seems playing with the best, even if you are the best, is a greater lure than the guaranteed millions. One by one, they are shunning the check to stay with their peers. There are this year 838 million good reasons to stay faithful to the USPGA. That's not too shabby, but no doubt the the Saudis could find more if it came to a proverbial contest. What you can't buy though is tradition. You can't buy history, you cannot buy legend. In short, you can't buy the majors, the Hall of Fame. That is so cool. You can't buy a million, you can go out and buy actually if you've got the money, a million green jackets. But to the pro golfers, there's only one worth donning. The Masters. 
And there's only one claret jug worth lifting, the one for the champion golfer of the year. So it appears the Sharks' latest quest is on hold. Can't get a little nibble out of the PGO, let alone the big bite that he needs. You might have to look at a different market. How about the old boys with the names of the past? Still plenty of appeal. Older engines for the Saudis to lubricate, but at least it's something, isn't it? What about Stephen Alka, if that comes to pass? 10 out of 11 top 10s. How big would his bank account become? Well, great news for women's rugby yesterday that the inaugural season of Super Rugby or Picky will go ahead. Uh, there was a bit of concern that the tournament wouldn't be able to proceed. Um, but, of course, with the onset of Omicron and the community, the four teams have now all agreed to hit the top ball to play three games and a final in the space of just 15 days. And joining us now is Hurricanes poor captain, uh, New Zealand Rugby Player of the Year 2 for 2021 Sarah Hedini, good morning, Sarah. Congratulations, first of all, on the captaincy. There's a lot of uh, spiritual, a lot of mana uh, attached to the name itself. Tell us uh, what about what it's uh, about being captain. Um, morning, Marie. Thanks for having me on this morning. Yeah, it's a it's a huge honour to be um, named as the Hurricanes Polar Captain. It's obviously a region with um, that's held in high regard to myself, and to be able to represent. Um, my whole, my province, my whānau, my region, and be the captain of the side is, yeah, it's pretty special. So it's going to be a, an amazing um, arm with the girls, and I, yeah, I can't wait to get into it. So you grew up in fielding. Uh, were the Hurricanes always uh, your team? Yeah, I still actually have my Hurricanes jersey from when I was 12, which I can now adjust it. Um, my parents obviously brought it for me. That a jersey that I could grow into, and I've finally grown into it. Sarah, uh, they had a lot of standout players back in those days. So, who are the uh, the Hurricanes players that you you perhaps looked up to that uh, maybe you even idolised? Oh, for me, it was always um, Christian Cullen. He just set the game alight, could attack from anywhere, and um, yeah, was obviously an amazing player. I was lucky enough that one of our cousins, Daniel Kirkpatrick, was the first player for the Hurricanes for a couple of years. So, um, yeah, supported him. And then now it's obviously a pretty stark other team. So uh, your coach is Wes Clark. Uh, you know Wes pretty well, going back to Manawa two days. Yeah, so I've been coached by him um, quite a few times now, so it's nice to be under him. And um, like I've learned a lot from him over the last few years, so to be able to uh, be, I suppose, him coach me is yeah, it's going to be awesome. I'm going to learn a lot. So there's plenty of um, Manawatu players in the uh, squad. And, uh, you know, so uh, it's not as if you have to, to get to know a lot of players. Quite often when you, you join a franchise, there's a lot of getting to know each other. But, you know, you girls know each other pretty well. Yeah, I do know quite a few of the girls. Obviously, my sister's playing. Um, I've played alongside a lot of the Cyclones girls. But I, there was a few that I didn't know. And so it was nice to be able to, connect with those ones, get to know them um, as, as people first. And we've, I, th- I think we've connected really well in the last few camps. We've come together pretty quickly and trying to learn as much as we can before we get into the competition in a couple of weeks. 
Well, Sarah, great news yesterday coming through that uh, there will be a competition because, of course, in these days you just never, never know. Uh, so you're going to have to shift to, to Topo for Super Rugby Old Picky in its uh, first year. Are you happy with that outcome? I'm happy that we're um, the competition's going ahead and that we're the place on footy. It's been a pretty long time, but I am feeling for the girls who who do work full time, um, who are mums who will have to be taking time off work um, and obviously go away from their families for a little while. So, and feeling for the players who who have to do that. Obviously, for the likes of a couple of us who are full time rugby players, it is a little bit easier to relocate. But yeah, um, the competition's going to go ahead, and and that's a, that's for all of us. And that's the bulk of your squad too, I think, to be fair, isn't it, uh, Sarah? The, uh, I understand there's not too many full-time professional rugby players in your squad, so uh, it's a very big sacrifice for a lot of the girls. Yeah, I think there's actually only a handful of us in the Hurricanes forward, so for a lot of the girls, uh, they are, will be taking um, time away from work, uh, un- unpaid leave, um, We've got a lot of mums in our program, which will <clears throat> they'll have to leave the young ones at home, and and that that will be tough. I think it's um, obviously pretty tough being away from home anyway. But when you're away from your family, it makes it a little bit harder. So just getting as much support around them. I know they do have support, but we'll be trying as best as we can to make sure that they are comfortable, that they get what they need, and um, hopefully be able to perform as best as they can as well. What kind of training have you been able to get into the squad, bearing in mind uh, the amateur status of a lot of the players, the family basis as well? Uh, what what kind of uh, training, what kind of work have you been able to get in, bearing in mind that you've had to wait to see if you're even going to play? So a lot of the girls um, during the week or during the weekdays will train in their hub region, so um, in the high-performance setups that they have trained before work, after work. Um, obviously, a couple of us who... Our full-time, we'll still do our normal training during the day. And then most weekends, we've been getting together in Wellington and getting as much sessions in as we can, clarity, game book, uh, learning the game book and doing field sessions um, yeah, down at the Hurricane Space in Wellington. So it has been, the weekends are pretty jam-packed with learning as much as we can before the competition starts. Um, yeah, but to be honest, it's been pretty, pretty difficult to be able to um, learn as much as we can, but we're just trying to keep it as, as simple as possible. So uh, you've um, you've been a part of a lot of squads that have, have come together, uh, principally international squads, and uh, you, you've you've kind of been able to sense uh, how how it uh, is coming together. And you, you said you, what you're just trying to keep it relatively basic. So what are we looking at here? Backline moves, defensive patterns. Line-out calls, that sort of thing, just just keeping it um, pretty straightforward? Yeah, very, very straightforward. We need to come together pretty quickly, so we've just got simple gameplay. Um, I won't give out too much just in case other teams are listening right now, but um, for us forwards, it's actually, we we know we need to control set piece. We know we need to dominate that. So it's learning um, just the line-outs, getting our scrum connections. Um, together and obviously the bats will be doing what they do but just simple gameplay stuff to know that once we start playing then we can um, start analysing other teams and things like that but yeah pretty simple at the moment. Well it's going to be pretty uh, physical and pretty taxing in that regard because uh, you're looking at uh, 15 days 
four games in 15 days with squads of just uh, 28 players. There will be injuries, of course. There will be uh, other factors that come into play, but uh, that is going to be uh, pretty tough. But uh, having said that, you're used to quick turnover uh, with the sevens, of course, but not quite the same jury, uh, duration. Yeah, it is going to be tough, and for, for some of the girls who um, are not used to that, it will be quite taxing on the body. So, that recovery is going to be really important, um, and yeah, making sure that we're doing everything we can. But uh, like, I know that we're going to have to utilise the whole squad. So we're lucky we've got really good depth in our in our team. But um, I'm looking forward to the challenge. It's, um, it's going to be a long game for me. Obviously, 80, 80 minutes, not 14, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to just uh, getting involved and obviously doing the best that we can for our Hurricane Power. As we look at the, the other three squads, uh, there's a great uh, sprinkling around the country, but uh, one or two may look a bit stronger than others, particularly in terms of their international uh, makeup and the fact that they probably know each other's games a bit better. So as we look at the, the Chiefs of Manawa, we look at... Uh, uh, Matatu down there in the South Island, and there's the Blues. Who are the squads that you think of, of those uh, probably have uh, the advantage in that regard? I think the um, the Chiefs Mana, Manawa were are, are pretty stacked, but with amazing players, they've got a good coaching set up, so they will be a pretty tough team to play. Um, and yeah, it's pretty obvious how, how good their, their team's going to be. The um, Mapatu team, obviously a lot of the, the Canterbury girls down there, so a lot of their stuff can be done um, training on the daily, which I suppose is, is creates a, a bit of a challenge, but uh, we're not going to use that as an excuse. Our team is we're doing everything that we can to, to come together as fast as we can. So it's, it is going to be a really tough competition and the games are going to be um, like pretty all go right from the get-go, but it is what it is, and I know that we'll be putting our best foot forward to, to try and uh, win the comp this year. Well, Sarah, on, uh, on another matter, the uh, the Rugby World Cup for, for women is uh, just uh, 199 days away. Sounds like a lot of days, but when you add it up, it's not that re- really that long. Um, there's also a Sevens World Cup this year to look forward to, uh, the Commonwealth Games. Um, what is your, your year looking like? Um, really busy at the moment. Obviously, we've got Cesaro Picky and then the three pinnacle events that you, um, that you just mentioned, and I want to be doing all four. I want to be playing as much footy as I can. Hopefully, after Picky, we start travelling for the sevens again with the World Series, and then two pinnacle events with that. And uh, for me, I want to be playing in the um, Rugby World Cup here at home for the Blackburns. Um, so, a lot of travel, a lot of training, um, and, uh, and hopefully a lot of game time, but yeah, all I can do is train as hard as I can and hopefully I make, make those teams. Well, you've, of course, uh, you're Olympic champions. I mean, just the most amazing performance there. Um, and, and then, of course, you haven't been able to play since. I mean, it must be incredibly frustrating to look at these competitions going on around the world, knowing that you would have been a great chance to win all of them, but not even allowed to be there. Yeah, it's been pretty tough, um, especially on the, on, on the mind that we train every day to, to get an opportunity to play and when that gets taken away from you, we haven't played a World Series tournament in over two years. The last one was in Sydney uh, a couple of years ago and, and you watch other teams travelling, playing against each other and obviously um, the likes of Australia and that winning, it's, yeah, it's pretty frustrating when you're back home and just want to be there. So 
I hope we get to do that as, um, in April uh, in Canada. But yeah, so I know the seven girls who are not playing Osaki are still training pretty hard to try and, um, try and play in a tournament. But it, it has been very frustrating. Sarah, you sound hungry to me, and your voice, you sound hungry. Uh, you sound um, <laughs> as if your appetite for the game is still as strong as it's ever been. I am. I, I absolutely love what I do. I still believe I'm living a dream, and to be play footy for a living yeah, is pretty amazing. So I just, yeah, we'll keep training hard, and hopefully we get that opportunity to, to play um, either internationally or definitely in Oakley in a couple of weeks. Well, Sarah, it's been great to chat to you. Uh, I know you're very busy. We'll let you go. Um, you've got a lot, to, lot on your plate, uh, not just today, but uh, in the 12 months coming up. And uh, we'll, of course, be following it very closely. So uh, good luck with the Hurricanes. Good news that you're actually going to play. Um, all this uh, preparation, et cetera, is going to come to fruition in Taupo, and it's not too far away. Wish you all the best with that. Thanks for your time this morning. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, Sarah Hilliany, of course, uh, New Zealand Rugby Player of the Year last year, recipient of the Kill Tremaine Trophy. Um, what she's uh, achieved in the sport already is quite incredible, but you can hear in the voice that she has got a lot of unfinished business to account for as well. So that's great news, uh, one of our very best rugby players. Um, and both codes, really, um, you know, we're looking for her in the, the 15s. Of course, she, she wouldn't have been contracted, uh, John, in the 29 because she's already got a contract with New Zealand Rugby anyway. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it sounds like not many of her teammates either, Smithy. We spoke to Wes Clark before, the power coach, and he reckons only two or three are full-time. So going yeah. to Topol for uh, you know 17 days, if you got, you know, that's not your full-time job. You're asking a lot from your employer, aren't you, to give you two and a half weeks off work and then add to that if you're a mum as well. Yeah, it is. It's going to be tough. Really, really tough. And I would imagine... Uh, the very close-knit communities and very close-knit some of these girls. They might even work in the same place, some of them. Uh, you know, they, they spend a lot of time together. So uh, it'll be interesting um, just to see how it unfolds. But there'll be some compensation needed. And uh, the Rugby Union, of course, uh, will have covered that base. But it's uh, up and running, and that's uh, it's the great news. Uh, what uh, can we talk about today? Uh, look, I, I think John Day and I are going to do a... Uh, we're going to do a Mount Rushmore. <clears throat> Four most influential... Hurricanes today, Canes players, and there are some really high-profile Canes players to pick from, so uh, you can come up with your top four Hurricanes over the years, the most impressive, uh, the most influential on the game, uh, the ones you associate most uh, with the Hurricanes, uh, that would be cool to hear from you on that regard, and uh, uh, anything else that you want to bring up, uh, that would be just fine as well. Ever scored three own goals? Have you? Have you ever scored three own goals? If you, if you have, we need to hear from you if you've scored three own goals. Goodness me! Uh, Nine twenty-one here on SENZ. You're in safe hands. It's mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh, Nine twenty-six here, and our theme of the day: double eight double three is our text number. As you well know, oh eight hundred one five oh eight eleven. If you want to discuss it in person, we'll take your call. Uh, Dave has come in with five options for his uh, favourite Hurricanes over the years. Uh, Tana, Conrad, Bodie, Cully, Jerry, RIP. Uh, look, uh, they're all, all certainly very, very prominent in my thinking before I put mine together. Uh, terrific lot of players there, but there are more. There is a truckload more. I don't know what it is about the Hurricanes, whether it's 
Uh, I don't know. I suppose if you go around the franchises, you'll come up with the same number. But it just appears to me, uh, particularly John Day, that these guys, these Hurricanes, um, whether the profile is bigger for them, whether they've gone on to be more high-profile All Blacks out of being Hurricanes, I don't know, but... There's so many of them. Yeah, they always had the most exciting backline. I think that was the thing, and it took them so long to win a title, didn't it? 2016. So they always had, I, I thought, the best backline going around in Super Rugby, at least for the first, like, 10 years, with Cullen and Umunga and our Brian panellists here brought up a great name, Lomi Fa'atau. How good was he for the Hurricanes back in the day? Uh, so just, I, mm. I think they just, they were the most exciting team, weren't they, Smithy, in Super Rugby in the early days? Well, there's no Savia's mentioned yet. No one's mentioned any Savia. True. Uh, just had a couple come in now. Jo- uh, Jared said Jonah, Jonah Lomu, Christian Cullen, Tana Umanga, Bowden Barrett. I mean, how's that for superstar quality? It's just absolutely amazing. So, yes, uh, we'll, we'll talk on those uh, throughout the morning. Uh, that's the theme of it. Uh, your four most influential, the most impressive hurricanes to play uh, for that franchise over their history. Uh, 22-2-22 it is today, and you know what that means, it's uh, the Richie Benno day, uh, and they, the Richies in Australia uh, want it to stay uh, that way and uh, be declared that way, uh, the Richies are a group of uh, around about a thousand uh, Richie Benno fans, who uh, you'll see them if you watch the cricket coverage from Australia, uh, they dress up with wigs, cream suits and microphones to impersonate the legend himself, the great the great Richie Benno. Uh, so I understand staff's doing something about that later on this afternoon. Um, what about, uh, uh, that's another same uh, theme actually, Double Eight, Double Three Memories of Richie Benno. Uh, how impressed were you with the, the great man, an absolute genius at the art of cricket commentary and uh, pr- pretty much life itself and a great uh, Australian cricketer as well, great leader, most uh, respected man and one of the nicest gentlemen. Uh, that I've ever, ever had the pleasure of meeting, let alone working alongside. Uh, Pete's coming. How about these ones? Uh, Norm Hewitt, Bull Allen, Tialata, Tito, uh, just to name another four Hurricanes that have come in. So uh, Collins, Toyalu, Wepu, Jane. Uh, the names just keep coming, don't they? It's quite unbelievable the amount of Hurricanes that have come in uh, as well. So yeah, happy Richie Benno Day to everybody out there who's a Richie Benno fan. It's 22-2022. And it's 9.30 also here on SENZ. here on SENZ, Uh, time to turn our attention to water sports now and uh, it appeared for all intents and purposes as if the sailing career of Joe Olay was over. Uh, She'd become world and Olympic champion in the 470 class uh, with Polly Potty and uh, really had nothing left to prove in the sport so uh, went uh, and did a bit of coaching. But now Joe has decided to step back into a different boat with a new partner and it's already paying dividends having won the 49er FX class at the Ocean Bridge NZ Del Sailing Regatta just on Sunday. And she joins us now. Joe, thanks very much uh, for your time this morning. Oh, no worries. Hey, well, this is cool. Uh, you won gold in 2012, silver in 2016, but you've found a new appetite uh, for the Olympics in 2024. What's behind that? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess I sort of made a point of never fully retiring. I was always just, you know, not sailing. 
and I was just pretty burnt out by it all and I was had done a lot of years with Polly and it was you know a really good time but I needed something different and yeah took five years out basically coaching and doing different things and trying to put a normal life as well but a normal job um, but it's definitely inspired me to sort of give it another crack and there's just way more to learn and yeah why not Okay, so you've teamed up now with uh, Molly Meach, of course, uh, now in the 49er FX class. How, how did that come about, that combination? I mean, I, I guess I'm just, you know, pretty lucky, right place, right time. Um, Molly obviously started with Alex for about nine, ten years, and it was just, you know, time for that. That was sort of over at the end of, after, after Tokyo, and I was sort of looking at trying to get into a new class, and lucky enough that Molly was sort of hanging around and, and actually was okay to go sailing with me even though I don't really know what I'm doing yet. So no, I've, I've definitely definitely got lucky. I've got, you know, one of the best crews in the world and got my little onboard coach for now who tells me how to do things. So you tried your hand at coaching. Uh, what was that experience like for you? Um, I, I really enjoyed coaching. You know, it was a way to sort of use some of that knowledge and experience I have and give back and, I mean, I love being involved with the sailors. I think we're a great bunch of people. And, I mean, I work with uh, Micah Wilkinson and Erica Dawson for the last sort of two years through to Tokyo. And I sort of credit them with being a large part of what inspired me to actually get back sailing again because, you know, they work hard, but they had such a good time doing it. And we've had so many laughs along the way that it was like, you know, this is actually, you know, a real cool experience. And you can work hard and enjoy it. And that's sort of, I think, what I lost, you know, through too many years of Olympic campaigning back in the day. Do you find that uh, with the coaching, et cetera, and, and mixing with younger sailors, uh, is the sport's in great heart? It, it's really solid? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we've got a great bunch of kids coming through. I think, like, at the Olympic end, like, there's been a few people sort of, you know, drop away now. I'm not sure it's the, the deepest squad, but when I look at the young ones coming through, I think there's lots of potential and lots of future. And I think that's a cool part of being back involved is, I mean, at Ocean Bridge, at the last sort of 49 event we had, a decent fleet and you know half of those teams were just young guys teams even or mixed teams or just getting more people on the water and sort of more people sailing these boats and building up the fleets in NZ which I think you know that's the one thing COVID has actually been really good for is that we've all been around home a lot more and able to start sort of you know pushing some experience down the fleet. Okay so you're synonymous uh, Joe with uh, 470 class um, and now it's 49er FX Tell us uh, what differences you have to make and the difference in the boats. Yeah, so it's a much newer sort of style of boat, like skiff sailing. So both of us on the trapeze, which is, you know, new for me. I was always sitting in the back of the boat. But now I get to hang out the side too, so I'm quite enjoying that. Uh, it's uh, a lot more technical in terms of sort of the sailing aspect, the boat handling, getting around the course. In terms of the actual the technical speed side, I think the 470 is actually step up. So it's a nice way to sort of mix in new skills and I think a lot of my prior experience is coming through and sort of will continue to come through as I get more and more comfortable in the class. But there's definitely a very steep learning curve, like a whole lot of swimming, a whole lot of falling over. I get, I get quite excited these yeah. days when I do, you know, three, four manoeuvres in a row without falling over. <laughs> it's early days. Well, it seems to have worked. I mean, you've gelled very, very quickly, quite clearly, because uh, you won at the weekend of the 12 races... You only finished outside the top uh, three once, which is quite incredible. Yeah, yeah, it was just great having, you know, a few days of the same conditions to sort of get some time together. And, I mean, I think we're about, what, 14 days together now, me and Molly. But mm. 
Yeah, it's coming together. I mean, yeah, it was good to see that we do gel pretty naturally and our communication works well and there's a lot of trust from, from the get-go and I think that's what's so key. You know, she trusts me to make decisions even though I'm a bit rusty after five years out and obviously I fully trust her around the boat because, you know, she is just pretty incredible in that boat. Was it hard watching uh, the uh, the Olympics in Tokyo? I mean, uh, knowing that uh, you'd been there, you'd experienced it, you'd, you'd done well at it, was it... Was it hard to sit at home and watch? Oh, well, I mean, I was, I was out there on the water watching, at least. I was out with, yeah. with Mike and Erica, so it was, I think it's just as hard, though. You're so close, but you still can't, yeah. you know, when you're coaching, you, you can't really, you can't affect it that much. You know, you're there to support yeah. and there to assist, but it was, yeah, it, it has been a bit tough watching. It's definitely part of what inspired me to come back, because I'm sort of something I'm sitting there watching going, oh, I'm sure I could do that, you know. Sure, I can do yeah. that. It can't be that hard, can it? But I'm probably going to find that out in the so, next few years. <laughs> so you you can see shifts. Uh, I mean, you can't communicate at all, can you? During that, you're basically just sitting in a what a um, you know a support boat or a backup boat, etc. Off the course, uh, and and you can't really communicate. I mean, a lot of sports no, coaches no, so, can. Yeah, no. So the games for sailing, we're sort of kept in a little pen, sort of just off the course, sitting in our support boats, and you're just watching like from five minutes before the race that's it they go and do their race and then they'll come and see you after for a few minutes and then they're off again so there's very limited touch points and you, you do a lot of you know just watching and going oh no what are you doing come on no and then just looking away and a bit of like oh yes yes I would have done that you play the game by yourself and the coach right but it's definitely pretty different to be able to you know do it yourself you sound like you're far from finished hands-on in terms of sailing to me yeah, yeah, I think I think that was the point. <laughs> I think once I'd watched it that long, it was like, oh, hang on, actually, I think I still want to do this. So, you know, why not? Yeah. Why not give it a crack? So, what's next for you and Molly? Um, are you at some point able to head overseas and match yourself against the world's best? Yeah, so we've just got a bit of training for the next month or two, planning to head over to Europe in April, and not sure exactly when we'll race yet. Sort of depends how we're tracking either racing in uh, late April or else in sort of mid-June. Just depends on, yeah, if we think we're ready to race. Because I guess that's been the hard part here is you jump into racing and, like, we just haven't actually done the training to justify it yet. So hopefully we'll keep tracking well and, yeah, definitely looking forward to seeing what, what the international fleet is like. Well, the good thing uh, this time around from your point of view, Joe, is you don't have to wait as long as you normally would for the next Olympics, of course, because they were postponed a year everything's come a bit closer in terms of the next one. So we're, we're only really looking uh, a couple of years away. Yeah, that's a, it's a very short time frame. And I guess that's a part of what makes it quite exciting. You know, we've got it up against it even more because, you know, I'm learning to sell a new boat, new partnership, everything's pretty fresh, and we don't have much time to do it in. So we've sort of just got to go hard and, and try to get it done. And, yeah, makes it pretty exciting. You, you went from a sailing family originally, were you? I mean, a lot of uh, our young sailors are born into it, etc. but were, were you from a sailing family? No, no, no. My family was sort of nothing to do with sailing. I think we're still maybe a little bit confused as to why I got into sailing in the first place. I just, I don't know, I had a thing about boats and I've always loved boats. And Yeah, I, I definitely sort of led my own sailing career. But, you know, my, my parents were as supportive as anyone would be. So I was very lucky in that regard. How uh, how much better do you think, uh, even after just, what, 13 or 14 days together, etc., 
how much better do you think you can get in a, in a short space of time? I mean, if you judge against our local competition, quite clearly uh, not much better in terms of results, but how much more fine-tuning, et cetera? I mean, have you just, are you, have you just tapped into it? Yeah, I mean, there's sort of aspects of our sailing that we'll get pretty quickly, like some of the boat speed or just sailing in straight lines. But the thing with this boat is that it's the turning the corners and the the sort of upper breezes that, that are going to be the challenge. And like I'm sort of well aware that that's going to take, you know, the next year to really get comfortable. And so it's just seeing how fast we can sort of progress. And I mean, they're well aware we're going to be making mistakes for the next year in, in terms of in racing just through lack of timing. But I guess that's a challenge. You know, we don't know. We're not going to know till we really put some more time in and, and see how we are in two months' time. And then, yeah, I guess we'll have a better idea going forward. But pretty sure we can, you know, if anyone can do it, I'm sure we can. So we'll, we'll give it a go. Well, everyone's, yeah, well, it sounds cool. I mean, everyone's got different uh, attitudes to sport. Everyone reacts differently when things are going well or badly as whatever. So uh, in this short space of time, what's the difference between Polly and Molly that you've discovered so far? <laughs> Um, I mean, they're very different people, um, but I guess like a bit of similarities, the intensity and sort of ability to just go hard and sort of push through. I mean, I guess you don't, you don't become a successful Olympic sailor without that, so it's not surprising. I guess I'm quite enjoying the fact that, you know, Molly will, is pretty direct, pretty direct with me and will sort of tell me how it should be, you know, in no uncertain terms, and I actually really enjoy that. And I guess that, that's the benefit of coming so, in where I'm actually sort of the beginner in this in this team and like Molly's actually the experienced one whereas when I started with Polly it was the opposite way around and that I had had more experience and so Polly was sort of coming on a lot newer and so I guess I quite like being, being bossed around a bit and <laughs> having to just keep lifting my level. And a two-person crew, okay, this is very interesting, for, uh, I'm learning here all the time, in a two-person crew situation like that, do you have a captain? Do you have a boss as such? I mean, there's got to be decisions, 50-50 decisions that someone has to make a decision at some point, yeah? Yeah, and it just depends around the course. I mean, I'm steering, so if we're going to have to turn in a hurry, I'm pretty much going to have to make that call and do it. But in terms of sort of the bigger strategic decisions, like it's, it's pretty shared, and it'll be whoever has the best idea at times. Uh, but, I mean, that's a part of it, isn't it? I think it's that developing who takes over when and why. And that's sort of what, you know, what we're playing with at the moment. And just, just the way the roles well, are split in the boat is that Molly has to do a lot of the boat speed and really keep the boat going. And I end up sort of looking around a lot more and making some more of those tactical calls. But then I've got someone to bounce it off the whole time. So it's quite fluid. And it's definitely different to the 470, where it was quite a different decision-making process. Uh, Joe, it's great to have you back. It's great to know and hear that uh, the appetite's still there and uh, that you're going to uh, form a really formidable combination with Molly Meach. So thanks for your time this morning uh, and uh, look no forward to Thank your you. uh, growing success. It's been great chatting. Thank you. Thanks. Joe Alay there, uh, of course, uh, Olympic champion and destined for more, it seems, uh, in partnership now uh, with Molly Meach in their new boat, uh, 49er FX, already. Uh, setting the world on fire, well, the New Zealand world on fire anyway, uh, and they can't wait to get overseas. 9.45 here on SENZ. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. It's mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Texts are flooding in uh, about your favourite four hurricanes over the years. Um, uh, here's one with Brad Shields, uh, Ma Nonu, Christian Cullen, 
uh, Rodney Soyalo and Paul Tito. Um, I, uh, Smithy, uh, come on in, says Jeff the Ref, with Jerry Collins, Andrew Hoare, Christian Cullen, and Pity Whitbu. Uh, also, Tay the Trucker, Jerry Collins, Bowden Barrett, Tana Umanga, Christian Cullen, Pete said uh, John Preston, Stephen Bashup, Jason O'Halloran, and uh, Alama Edemir. Didn't look uh, much uh, outside the inside backs there, did you, Pete? Uh, Charles has come in, Tana, uh, Jerry, Jonah, Inoki, Afiaki, and Pity. Um, Ken, my four, Conrad Smith, Christian Cullen, Adi Savia, Dane Coles. How about to Timo Tangaloa, Gordon Slater? Uh, they just keep absolutely flying through the old, well, I was going to say fax machine, but we haven't got one. Uh, the text machine, John. They certainly the do, and so many from the 90s, back when the Hurricanes, you know, they they built you up and then disappointed you, but you still love them. You still love players from that era, and I know you're a big fan of fish, aren't you, Smithy? Big Paul Tito? They got, yeah, the fish, at the playing at the fish bowl and, and Taranaki. Yeah, so, yeah, Paul Tito, what are they, the orange ruffy, they called him. Uh, he, he was just fantastic, uh, Paul Tito. Heart, soul, everything into the game. Not a giant of a man, but certainly made his uh, presence felt on the field of play. They've got um, two or three of those in their current squad, actually. The guys who aren't giants, uh, boys, guys like Tom Parsons uh, in that group, um, James Blackwell. James Blackwell, Those yeah. kind of players who are yeah, absolute grafters and, and uh, tough tough with it as well. So mm, <coughs> they're, they're the ones that we, um, we should be focusing in on, but there are the superstars as well, the absolute out-and-out superstars, the guys that played 100 games. They've got the uh, the Matty for playing the 100 games for them. So, yeah, there's plenty of those to look at as well. And uh, it's been interesting over the years to, to see them. And, and they have that, they just seem to have a bit more star power. Or am I sort of lighting a fuse there? Uh, it's 9.52 here on SENZ. We'll be back with a multi just before 10 o'clock. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold up. Know when to fold up. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Well, we need a winner in our multis because uh, we just uh, have gone off the boil ever so much. Uh, so this morning we needed uh, Napoli to beat uh, Cagliari and that didn't happen. So that was a one-all draw. Uh, so today we're uh, going to go for cricket and we're going to go to the New Zealand women's team to beat India again. My goodness, I've been chasing down good scores and doing it with authority. Uh, over 270 on two occasions, I've absolutely uh, knocked that over with uh, with ease, really. A uh, number of individuals standing out. They look good. They look really good, uh, the White Ferns uh, at the moment. So hopefully that's uh, there to stay and to start of something really big over the next five or six weeks. Uh, staying with cricket too, the Auckland Aces to beat Otago. That's a Ford Trophy game today at $1.40. And uh, also uh, Villarreal and Juventus are going head-to-head tomorrow morning. Villarreal and Juventus. Uh, and I think that'll be a draw at 3 bucks. So $1.42 into $1.40 into $3 gives us $5.96. So that's a good return. Quite like that one. Uh, Jade has come in and said the Kupu Venisi. Paul Steinmetz, Jason O'Halloran, and Dion Waller. So there you go. Everyone that's not going for the superstars, there's some great names coming out here. TJ Perinara, 
David Hollywell, Jimmy Gopith, Corey Jane. So, yeah, a lot of people going for the backs as opposed to the forwards. They've had some great backs, but they've had to get to some pretty good forwards to give them a ball, and they've had some terrific loose forwards over the years. It is 9.59 coming up 10 o'clock here on SENZ, and when we come back, we've got to talk about it. We can't avoid it. Three own goals and a loss for the United States, 5-0. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. And it is 10.03 here on SENZ. It's been very tough going for the football ferns at the She Believes Cup in California, losing to Iceland 1-0 on Friday before going down to the host USA 5-0. Yesterday, there's uh, one game left against the Czech Republic on Thursday. Uh, so to help us review what's uh, been going on and preview that next game is uh, Rosie White, of course, uh, football fern herself, played so far over 100 games for the football ferns, which uh, is quite incredible. But now... Uh, as a Sky Sport analyst as well. So, Rosie, good morning to you. Uh, how do you like being on the telly talking about footy instead of playing it? <laughs> uh, good morning. Um, yeah, it's definitely a bit of a different skill set, but um, I, I, I enjoy, I'm enjoying it. Eh? It's good. Well, you would have enjoyed uh, perhaps talking about a slightly better performance uh, than yesterday. Let's go back uh, further, shall we? Let's go back to uh, the game against Iceland, which was one, I think... Uh, that the football fans were looking quite uh, looking forward to quite optimistically, but uh, went down one 0 What was your assessment of that opening game? Yeah, definitely a game that um, we would have wanted to have won um, and could have easily have won. Um, I think we had a pretty a tough start, and they scored a really early, pretty sloppy goal. So that kind of had us on the back foot from the get go. I think we kind of found our way into the game eventually. Um, but it's it's kind of a hard one to come back come back from, and um, I think the first game of the tournament, a little bit like that, is is always tough to start like that. So um, I'm sure the team's pretty disappointed, but um, you know there was there was positives to take from it as well. Yeah, it was. It was an early setback. I, I just wonder about the the ability to create create opportunities uh, in that first game because uh, it it just seemed that that was perhaps an area that we were lacking in. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that well, the team definitely dominated the position of the ball. They had like way more position than they have in, in a lot of the past games that we've played. Um, but yeah, it was a bit of a struggle to to create dangerous opportunities, and um, which is you know obviously pretty key to the game. So that's something that needs to be improved on, and um, it definitely will be the focus for for the team. Well- well, yesterday, of course, uh, heading into the game against the USA, always going to be underdogs against them. I mean, they're, they're ranked number one in the world. They've got so much depth, so much talent. But uh, uh, to be honest, when uh, you needed a, uh, we, I say you, we, we, we all needed a better start because uh, of what had happened against Iceland, guarding against giving away gifts. And unfortunately, it was the, the exact opposite. So it was, it was a nightmare start for the team, but in particular for Michaela. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it was pretty pretty obvious that it wasn't the way that the game we wanted the game to go, um, and especially for Michaela, you know, like it's just so unfortunate. Um, just kind of mistakes were made, and um, it's it's a really hard way to start, as we already knew, um, and especially against the best team in the world, it's a pretty big mountain to climb from um, so early in the game. So. Yeah, I mean, of course, disappointed um, with with all of that. Um, 
but yeah, again, it's 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 you're playing the best team in the world, so any small mistakes or big mistakes are going to be punished, um, no matter what. I think the second own goal was unavoidable. That was just a cruel deflection as such. But from a defender, I know it's not your particular area of expertise on the field, but from a uh, defender's point of view, uh, I, I just wonder about, you know, when you're, you're going back towards your own goal line, how careful you have to be around your own net with deflections, etc. Yeah, you obviously have to be super careful. Um, and it's the a defender's worst nightmare to have the ball end up in your own goal um, off your deflection. And I think, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't happen very often for a reason. And, um, and so I think it's just, it's just a mistake. And, um, uh, you know, like I, there's not, there's not a lot you can do now. I think you can, you know, change your body position and um, I don't know, be, be on your toes and, and do all of everything you can. And sometimes it is unavoidable and, um, Again, it's just it's so unintentional that um, it's kind of like, what can what can you do now? Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I I feel I mean, you know, everyone makes mistakes in sport. Uh, we try not to make them at the highest level, but they just happen. So it was an interesting debate and an interesting conversation about uh, the substituting of Michaela Moore yesterday, um, and it, mm. it, it was it, the timing of it was interesting. You 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 weighed in on this as well, saying perhaps. Uh, half time might have been a better thing. Uh, in other words, don't take her off in front of the eyes of the world. Uh, but what, a day away, a day after that, what, what's your feeling about that now? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I thought you know it was a bit adding salt to the wound. I think is what I said. Um, taking her off five minutes before half time. Um, but again, on reflection, you know, I don't think it, that it was a punishment necessarily. It was just a, a something, an action that needed to be taken. Um, and it kind of seemed um, from the scenes that were going on that, um, you know, she, her head was, was not in the game um, and that it was just, it needed to be taken. And I think that Yitka supports her as a player and a person and um, it wasn't, you know, a personal decision. It was a decision for the team and um, the change needed to be made and, um, I thought I thought you know when Stoddy came on, she was really positive as well. So um, I don't know. There's, it's kind of a coach's decision, and um, you can't really fault her either way. I don't think. So she looked really upset. I mean, most people would be anyway, but the cameras didn't leave her alone. Unfortunately, that's modern television. Uh, she looked mm. uh, really, really down about the whole thing. Um, it's to be hoped that she'll recover quickly. Tell us a, a wee bit about her personality and her ability to to, to get over this. To get over. Yeah, I'm sure she's feeling it um, a lot. Um, she's, you know, she's one of those players that puts absolutely everything she has into the team and into the environment. Um, and I'm sure she's feeling pretty awful about the whole situation. Um, but I know she's she's so dedicated to her football and improving all the time that um, it'll be something that she'll have to have to learn from and grow from and. Um, mm. I'm sure it maybe take her a minute to kind of recover um, and reflect, but I, I think she'll bounce back. And um, yeah, I hope it's kind of one of those things that just makes you stronger as an athlete and more resilient. Because um, it's yeah, it's it's a it's a tough position to be in for her for sure. Yeah, it is. We're talking to Rosie White actually about uh, her uh, football fans teammates and uh, the two results they've had so far uh, in this latest tournament. Would you play her in the next game? I would. I'd say right, okay, let's get back out there, eh? Get back, get back on the horse. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think, you know, that's, <laughs> I guess that is one, one way to kind of get over it. Um, and you know, I don't know what Yitka is going to do. Um, but I, I think that, like, for her, she's, she's not she hasn't become a bad player just because that happened in a game. She's, she's still um, such a solid defender and um, I, I definitely still believe in her and I hope, you know, she, she will get more opportunities with it in the next game or um, in games to come. And I, you know, whatever, whatever your kid decides, um, I think, you know, she, she just, she will get another opportunity. So um, this is not <laughs> the end of it for her, for sure. No, no. And it should not be either. Uh, you mentioned Yitka Klim Clover, of course, who uh, is the, the head coach of the Football Ferns. Uh, seems like uh, she's a, a really good coach from a distance anyway. What have your dealings with her been like so far, Rosie? Yeah, she's um, she's been fantastic. Um, I mean, I think I don't have anything to fault her on. Um, I've had um, a lot of conversations with her in the last few months. I've been dealing with a few of my own health issues, and she's been very supportive of me personally. And um, I think she's a great addition to the environment. And she's um, very, you know, big on team culture, and um, she's very detailed. And I think she's, I think she has the team on board um, with her vision. So, yeah, no, I'm, I, I'm excited that she's, she's on board. Let's uh, uh, look at uh, Rosie White. Uh, what, what's uh, at the moment? What, what are your plans going forward? Um, my um, my plans are a little bit up in the air at the moment. Um, I've taken a little bit of a break from football. Um, I got pretty sick last year, um, and kind of have you know taken a mental and physical break for a little bit, um, and still kind of deciding what the future holds for me at the moment. Was it still was it uh, pressure of constant play? Was it pressure of playing uh, in overseas competitions or you know or a run of injuries? I mean, you know, it's such a, a big issue today, Rosie, that uh, you know people uh, are finding out about. I guess particularly in women's sport. Um, what what you, what issue in particular are you talking well, about? Well, you know, you, you talked about a, a bit of fatigue, a, a little bit of. Um, you know, uh, the injury side of things, um, uh, you know, just taking stock of things mentally as well as uh, physically? Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, it definitely, definitely plays a role, I think. Um, and, you know, I've been playing since I was 15 at the highest level and um, 28, this, I'm 28 now. So it's kind of, it's been a long journey for me and I, and I have never really taken a step back. And I think, you know, getting sick, it forced me to have a little bit of a break and kind of reevaluate where I'm at and, definitely been challenging personally the last couple of years so um you know i think as you when you're younger it's easy to kind of bounce back from those things and um yeah so i think it's been important for me to just have a little breather and um enjoy some of the other parts of my life and um kind of figure out what what's next how strong is women's football you ever experienced how strong is women's football in the united states um, it's just, I mean, it's growing and growing. I've been playing there. Well, I went to university there and then I've been playing in the league there for the last four years. Um, and over that time, it's grown a lot. Um, and the U.S. Na- women's national team has always been so strong um, for the last decade or longer. Um, and I think, you know, the professional league there is, is just growing year by year and um, salaries are getting stronger and um, they're getting more play- more of the best players in the world playing in the league so I think it's it just it's just going up and up and um, it's a pretty exciting future I think 
I mean, in our country, for us, we look at women's sport, we talk about um, uh, the silver ferns, uh, perhaps uh, the black ferns, etc., like that. But we're talking a whole different level, um, aren't we, in terms of profile, in terms of uh, payment, etc., expectation? Yeah, I mean, I think just because football is such an international, worldwide sport, um, there are a lot of opportunities all over the world um, in women's football and, you know, and throughout my career, it's just like the change is so noticeable um, in terms of the opportunities that are out there. Um, I think in countries like the US and, and England in particular, those two leagues are just have grown so much in the last couple of years and um, it's it's looking it's looking really promising and um you know, getting big, drawing big crowds and hauling in big contracts for players is, um, it's awesome. And it's kind of what the dream for, for women's football. And, um, it's pretty exciting times, I think. Um, and yeah, the, the future is, is bright. Okay. The immediate future for, uh, the football ferns is against the Czech Republic. Now where we're ranked slightly higher than them. So a win would be great, but what do we need to do? What 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 do we have to do to win this this last one in this in this uh, particular event? Yeah, definitely. Um, the team will be pretty keen for that win. I think the last two games have been pretty disappointing. So um, I think kind of pulling together some of the positives from the last couple of games. Um, I think the team will be looking to dominate possession. They'll really want to tidy up defensively and not let anything, any silly things or any silly goals, or especially not any early goals happen. Um, yeah. And I think just trying to be a little bit more dangerous in the attack and um, causing them a few more problems. And I think um, I think there was there was flashes of that actually in the US game um, of a little bit more direct um, aggression in our attacking third. So I think they'll they'll try and carry that over and and hopefully get the three points. Just uh, we can't let you go without one further comment. How about the women's Phoenix? Uh, how cool is that? that? I mean, they won the other day, but what they've what they've actually provided the opportunity of they've uh, they're gonna provide in the future for young women footballers. It's been I think it's been a pretty special story. This yeah, it's fantastic. Um, I think that you know for for the women's game to grow in New Zealand, you you need these some kids to have something to aspire to and. And I'm excited for the Phoenix to be able to play at home. Um, I think that'll also be just an awesome opportunity for people to be able to watch women's football or women's professional football on home soil. Um, yeah, it's, it's awesome. I'm, I'm stoked that it's that it's happening and um, I'm sure it's just going to get stronger and stronger as time goes on. And um, it's, yeah, it's very cool. Okay, uh, Rosie, we'll leave it uh, at that. It's been great chatting to you. We hope for a, a better result to talk about uh, after Friday's game against... Uh, the Czech Republic, um, and uh, also in your, uh, with yourself too. Uh, I hope uh, all pans out nicely for you in the future, whatever you choose to do. Thanks for your time. Awesome. Thanks, Ann. Thank you. Uh, Rosie White there, uh, fantastic women's footballer for uh, New Zealand, of course, uh, now uh, putting her, uh, her thoughts and things up on the television for us, which is great from Sky TV's point of view, uh, but analysing a performance yesterday, which uh, Michaela Moore, of course, will want to forget very quickly, but... Uh, that the, the football ferns have to move on from as well. Uh, it's 10.18 here on SENZ, and we have a panel coming up very shortly. The thing is that uh, in terms of the competition, not good for them, but they're, they're, they're the only ones affected, which uh, is, is quite incredible when you think about the small group of, uh, uh, the big group of players in such a small area. 
Yeah, it is. Um, I probably a little bit pessimistic, um, Smithy, because I, I I do wonder how long it's going to last. I think, you know, without sort of going uh, too too much in the crystal ball, I can see you know COVID becoming quite rampant in the country, and I think that'll affect the rugby teams at some stage. I think the problem for Moana Pacifica now is that they've ne- they're going to miss two games, which they're going to have to make up, which essentially will mean two storm weeks, I imagine, unless they're able to find. Yeah, but they won't be able to find time at the end because they have to go into semi-finals and that sort of thing. So um, that's going to be very tough for them if they're going to have to play um, two games. Uh, well, you know, basically four games over the space of two weeks. And as Brad said, you know, they're already basically on a hiding to nothing as it is. So I think that's going to be concerning the scores we might see in those two weeks as well. Have you ever scored three own goals in a game, Sam? I tell you what, I, mean, I, 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 I felt so sorry for this girl. I watched it. I watched it. And I just could not believe that one person could have that much damn bad luck. And I know. And the thing was, that if you look at the goals too, their, their own goals, you know, because they obviously touch her. But but there was only probably one of them where she did put her foot out, which she didn't have to. The other ones almost just hit her. You know, um, she wasn't even expecting it. They just sort of hit her and went in. So very unlucky. And um, I've never scored an own goal myself, Smithy. But I'll tell you a story about someone I played with who did, and that was a, a one Chris Wood um, back in our high school days. And uh, we were playing against uh, his former. Well, not his former school, but he's he's a Cambridge lad, and uh, we were playing against Cambridge, and um, our goalie threw it basically to halfway, and I don't know whether he did it on purpose or not, but he basically just threw his whole body at the ball, right-footed it, and it went straight back into our goal top left corner, um, and that was probably the best goal I've ever seen Chris Wood score. <laughs> I'm just trying. I'm just trying to imagine that scoring from halfway in your own goal. Yeah, it was uh, uh, fair to say the field wasn't probably a, a, a full standard field, uh, Smithy, at our school. But um, it was it was a distance, and um, like I just just quickly, I, I saw Chris would do some freakish things at high school, including like bicycle kicks and training that would just go top top corner. You know, when when some of us couldn't even get the ball off the ground at fourteen years of age. I'm in awe of you now. You, you're, I've just gone so much in awe of you, so much more and higher in my. Ex- Estimation. Really, I didn't. I didn't tell you that I was actually just the one pumping the balls on the sideline. But okay, <laughs> that I do believe you're the guy with the net with the balls in. Yeah, okay. Uh, and yeah, I, I got to say, Brad, uh, on a serious note though, um, you know that it was quite a depressing sight to see this poor girl weeping, weeping uh, openly um, in the dugout after something that you just cannot expect and, and you can't plan for. Yeah, and look, I, I can't look back at a high school moment like Sam. I mean, I played basketball with a guy called Mike Jordan once, but it wasn't Michael Jordan. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, but yeah, look, um, and what I found interesting, and actually um, it, it was kind of good to see, was I think the third girl, one of the American girls, put her hand on Michaela's back and sort of said, unlucky, and you'll notice the celebrations got less and less. Like the first goal they were stoked about, the second one they were like, oh, it's happened to her again. And the third one by that point they were, I, I guess, feeling sorry for an opposition player. But I think the yeah. coach made the right decision at that point to, 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 to um, give her the hook and, and good to see the team get behind her. And, you know, I've seen a lot of football people on, on Twitter sort of say, you know, you have your bad days, you know, and that was a bad day. Um, she's shown quality before and she'll show quality again. Um, it was just unfortunate, and I think aside from those three own goals, New Zealand actually played pretty well against a really good USA team to to restrict them to two goals from open play and one like five minutes into injury time. I, I think they actually did a did a pretty good job if you take the three own goals out of the equation. I totally agree. Actually, I thought it was a really creditable performance uh, after 
after that. I mean, we never expected them to win, um, and it could have been it could have been less. Uh, we just didn't look like scoring. That was the thing that worries me about the yep. whole deal. Uh, it's ten thirty, guys. Stay with us, um, Brad, and, and of course Sam. Stay with us, and we'll have a quick news break, and we'll come back with uh, some more, and maybe uh, some more women's sport too. And uh, with us this morning on the panel, Brad Lewis uh, is on the phone, of course, from uh, MediaWorks, and Sam Hewitt is in our studio here in SENZ, being one of our very own. And yesterday, what, what, I was going to say, Brad, uh, NBA, what, what do you make of uh, All-Star Week? I, I kind of just uh, switch off basketball. It doesn't do a lot for me. And then I see a game uh, where there's absolutely no defence as their showpiece game, and I, I, I don't quite get it. Yeah, look, um, well, the, the slam dunk contest uh, went down like a cup of cold sick, right? Like it was described as the worst slam dunk contest in the history of, of the All-Star Weekend. It, it was uh, pretty boring. But yeah, look, I think the highlight of yesterday was just watching Steph Curry play with complete freedom and no no defenders and, and just drilling threes for fun. It was like playing a video game. Uh, he, he, he's unbelievable. and He's actually having his worst three-point season for a decade this season in the regular season, but um, unbelievable yesterday. Uh, just sort of sort of um, in and out of that, just uh, looking up, looking down as I was I was working away. But uh, yeah, like um, it's there's there's no defence. There's not much to it. There's not there's not much stakes. They've done the whole fantasy draft thing with the two uh, captains and LeBron and Katie, which is kind of cool. Uh, I don't I don't know what Sam's thoughts on it. It's just you know it's just a typical All Star weekend in American sport where. There's no stakes, and yeah, um, I think baseball's the only one that has stakes. I think I don't even know if that's still the case. Where I think the winning division gets uh, home advantage or something, but uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah um, I just, I, yeah, I just, uh, it, it is what it is, and I just enjoyed watching Steph Curry uh, play basketball with his mates and just having fun. It's like a street game, right? It's like turning up, watching some really good basketballers play uh, at a at a school playground or something. <laughs> Oh, Valentine's Day for me, Sam, I'm afraid. Um, it's a commercial exercise which you either buy into or you don't. Yeah, that's pretty much bang on I think in times gone by, I mean, I, I sort of remember watching All-Star Games, you know, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, and I guess maybe they were a little bit more competitive, but it is really, you've got to see it for what it is maybe. Like, it's a chance to get all the stars in one place, and it's a bit of fun. I know they have this celebrity game too, and, you know, for young kids and that, it might be quite fun to watch. And um, in a way, it's sort of... T20 cricketish, you know, lots of baskets, um, you know, lots of, well, I'm not going to say big dunks, but you get lots of dunks, you get lots of threes. It's sort of all the fun stuff of basketball without the, the nitty gritty of fouls and stoppages and all that sort of stuff. So, um, you know, I was uh, not surprised, but I remember um, t- I text Steph um, at the first quarter because he had a couple of bets on with the TAB, and I think it was something like 47 all after one quarter, um, <laughs> which is generally what you get in the midway through the third quarter in a normal NBA game. So, um, yeah, I, I guess you got to see it for what it is. Smithy and, and I sometimes I enjoy it sometimes I sort of watch and, and it's I mean Steph Curry hitting threes for fun is is, is somewhat entertaining so um, yeah but you, you can't watch it thinking that you're actually getting a competitive basketball match until LeBron's team is okay. behind by about two points and then he just goes absolutely mental yeah, absolutely fair enough uh, I, I totally agree it's either your thing or it isn't and what is serious though all of a sudden uh, Sam is super rugby or picky which uh, I think I, I've got to give uh, plaudits here to New Zealand rugby. This is not easy to try and uh, change a competition all around, but I think they've come up with quite a good formula, bearing in mind this is pretty much still amateur for a lot of these girls taking part in this, and they didn't want it to be too prolonged. So 
I think this is uh, going to work. I, yeah, I agree with me. I think probably just the important thing is that it's happening because, you know, this this year for women's sport, and, and I know it's been a very tumultuous last 18 months when you think of rugby World Cup, Women's Rugby World Cup, cricket, Women's World Cup, Super Rugby Alpic, just so many um, important sort of milestones in women's sport this year um, that we need to happen. You know, we can't afford to have them fall over because you know that's massive dents um, in what they're trying to achieve. So I'm just I'm happy that it's that it's going ahead and um, condensed up. It's going to work for them hopefully. And, and from what I understand as well, it's almost better that it's um, condensed up, Smithy, because most of the women are amateur. You know that they've got full time jobs and that sort of thing. And at the moment they're only training I think one day a week or two days a week. And um, so just sort of having it you know nice and quick is probably actually more preferred for the for the for the players themselves so yeah looking forward to it four games and uh possibility of four games in uh, 15 days brad so uh, they're going to feel it at the end of it but at least they're going to play absolutely and it's imperative as well for the black ferns for the world cup just around the corner that that we get our you know our best players on the field uh you know over that short period of time just to get in some sort of shape and i i to give um, kudos to NZ Rugby for getting this off the ground. Uh, it's the debut season, uh, and I think there's, there's a little bit of anticipation around it, right? Like We had captains unveiled yesterday with Sarah Herney um, going to be looking after the Hurricanes team. I think it's, it's, there is a little bit of anticipation uh, around this competition, and yeah, kudos to New Zealand Rugby for getting it off the ground, and I'm actually really looking forward to it. 22-2-22 is symbolic for a lot of people. It's their birthday. Uh, other things are happening in their lives, of course. But if you're a cricket fan, uh, Brad, 22-2-22 only means one thing, doesn't it? It's Richie Day. Yeah, it does. And uh, what was interesting the other day, I think, in the Sri Lankan-Australian game at one of those games, uh, it was two for 22, and it was quite hilarious listening to one of the commentators sort of chucking a Richie Beno chew uh, in there. Uh, but, yeah, look, uh, man, what a legend uh, of, of, of commentating and um, all cricket fans, no two for 22 or two for 222, or you keep going and going. But, yeah, look, uh, I just remember, I think, when Sky first got the rights to Australian cricket, back in the mid-90s and just been able to sit down and watch that intro and then Richie Benno, you know, welcome back to the MCG. And, like, it was just, it was it was like, that was a highlight. I enjoyed that, I think, more than watching the New Zealand stuff at the time because, uh, you know, we never got, we never really got to watch Australian cricket aside from when New Zealand were playing Australia. So, uh, yeah, it was um, good good memories there and big Richie fan. And anyone, Sam, worth their salt in anything to do with sport or the media has had a crack at Richie Benno, haven't they, in terms of an impersonation? Oh, I was going to say, Smith, he's probably the most impersonated man in the in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, be keen to hear your rendition of it at some stage, Smithy. But uh, no, you know, it, I actually watched a Billy Birmingham uh, video this morning, the 12th man, who said, uh, what you've got to do is you've got to rip your voice box out, throw it on the ground, trample on it, then shove it back in, and then you've got to pretend that your bottom lip has been hooked by a fishing line and just pull it out until it's in another postcode. So that's, uh, I've been following his tips, and uh, that's, that's about as far as I've come. <laughs> that's silly. very good. Yeah. That is sensational, yeah. mate. It really is. Yeah. I've been Billy Birmingham made a fortune out of Richie Van and his mates. I think, he made, I think he made the impersonation almost famous, didn't he? It was sort of from him that we all tried to, we all thought we had the ability. You hear Billy doing yeah, it? Oh, yeah. I can do that. Yeah. Um, on a serious note, uh, a golfing note too, uh, Brad, I noticed this morning that Dustin Johnson and Bryson DeChambeau have said they will not be going to this proposed Saudi golf league, which is fronted by the great shark, uh, Greg Norman, uh, would have paid absolute fortune, I imagine, to the players, but 
uh, they decided to stay for a mere $838 million on the USPGA. <laughs> Absolutely. Rory McIlroy coming out and saying it's dead in the water, and uh, I sort of agree with them. Uh, looking at the story in depth yesterday, it appears that the PGA are going to uh, prevent any American players from playing in the Ryder Cup if they jump ship. Um, so that's a massive carrot for any US player. I mean, maybe the Saudi League will pick up sort of players outside the top 100, but, you know... I mean that that's that's there's no names there. The best players in the world are where it's at, and yeah, I, the last thing we need in golf is is a rebel league. I don't think anyone's interested in it apart from Greg Norman. I mean, I wouldn't watch it. I just want to watch you know the best players play every week at the tournaments that have the most pedigree. You know, like who wants to watch a Masters where half the field are playing in a rival league? It's a bit like that. You know, the sort of time when there was two NRLs, right? When there was the NRL and Super League, it was just it just didn't feel right. No, I agree with you. I'm I'm not sure about uh, what your thoughts are on it, Sam, but um, without the players, it just has no teeth. They can have all the money, and they'll never run out of money. The Saudis, we know that, uh, and we know why Greg Norman's there, because uh, he's getting paid a mega bucks to front it, but uh, it ain't going to happen by the look of it. No, no I, I just agree totally with Brad there, and that, you know, you've you got to have the best players there to have to, for it to have any sort of credibility. And, you know, the PGA, just with the tournaments that they have, you know, Masters is a good one, like... They, they've got history, you know, and you can't just set something up and expect it to, to capture the golf world when, you know, by and large, golf fans are ones that have been fans for a long time and, and you know, enjoy the history of the game and the players that have come and gone. So, yeah, without the biggest names, I just don't think it can go absolutely anywhere at all. And um, I think it was it, the power was obviously with the players because as soon as, you know, two or three of them started to side one way, the rest start following, you know, that no one's really going to take the plunge and go off on their own so now that they've got the momentum I can't see any of them um, going across I know there was mention of because I think Phil Mickelson's a little bit anti-PGA but I mean I personally don't think he would be a big enough um, pull you know for me to want to switch the channel on a on a Sunday morning No I, I don't think he would either even uh, bearing in mind that he's the current major champion I, I still don't get why uh, Phil's just got this thing uh, about the, uh, the PGA says uh, the, the the USPGA are greedy. Uh, I mean, they're greedy. I mean, Phil, Phil, look <laughs> in your garage, mate. Have a look in your garage, son. And, and I'm not sure which garage I'm talking about here on which house and which state or wherever you're wanting to pay the least amount of tax. But, Phil, let's be sensible about this. Gentlemen, thank you very much uh, for your participation this morning. Brad Lewis uh, there and uh, Sam Hewitt, who, uh, of course, is in the studio and will be working later this afternoon as well. It is uh, 10.43 here on SCNZ. We'll have another panel, same time tomorrow morning. It's mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Uh, We've been uh, talking this morning uh, about your favourite hurricanes. Uh, That is our Mount Rushmore that uh, John and I will uh, discuss around about uh, 11.40 this morning. Uh, Zaid has come in. It wouldn't be a day on SCNZ without Zaid, and uh, he's simply stuck with the brothers, Bowden and Geordie Barrett. Julian and Adi Savia. Um, and uh, Richie's come in on uh, the 22nd of the 2nd, 2022. Richie's come in uh, with uh, Adi Savia, TJ, Jerry Collins, and Paul Allen. Uh, and Jared has come in with Mr. Ben Ono, finer gentleman in Australian sport, let alone cricket. Only have to look at his comments after the underarm incident to understand the man, a top Australian. So there you go. Uh, Richie Benno tributes uh, are coming in a plenty. Bad news for the Phoenix Suns. I think that's the side I, I had earmarked to, I think, go all, all the way and win the NBA. Uh, they have lost Chris Paul, uh, John, which is a, 
it's not a good sign. Uh, he's got a fracture in his right thumb, which means he could be out for two months, and he is a big driver for the Phoenix Suns. Yeah, interesting that he still played the All-Star game. If I'm a Phoenix Suns fan, even though he only played, I think, uh, less than two minutes, um, I'm like, what are you doing, mate? You fractured your thumb and you're out there, buddy, playing an All-Star game, you're out for two months. But I guess it's better at this stage of the season. Smithy, uh, he's played every game this year. The Phoenix Suns are clearly the best team in the West. Uh, can they hold on to top spot in the West for the next six weeks? They probably can and get a fully fit Chris Paul heading into the playoffs. What an amazing career he's had. Uh, just seems to be getting better and better with age, like a fine wine, as they say, Smithy. Yeah, look, I agree. I totally agree with you. And, and I think, I really do think that um, that is a, an interesting thing you bring up about playing in the All-Star game. I, I absolutely, it blows my mind, actually. When you own somebody, you own them. Uh, they are your asset, uh, you know, and if he further does some damage to it, uh, during that All-Star game. I, I guess it's just wanting to be there with your mates. I mean, it's not about the money. It's not about the result. It's not about anything. I, I suppose it's just wanted to basically mi- mix with the rich and famous. Yeah. Um, I, I can't get my head uh, too much around that, actually. So the Hurricanes, uh, for me, says uh, one texted Tana Umanga, uh, Jerry Collins, Bowden Barrett, and Ma'a Nonu. Uh, they had a great, didn't they? He had a great... Uh, loose forward trio there at one stage with Chris Masoy, uh, Jerry Collins and Rodney Soialo. That was one heck of a dynamic loose forward trio, that one. So, um, you know, I, I, the Hurricanes, are, I, if I was looking down the track, it, it's going to be harder, I think, uh, to do the Highlanders, Crusaders and the Blues. I think the Hurricanes just seem to throw up more and more names. Sure does, Smithy. And a name uh, we need to throw up is Tana Walters, because he'll be coming up next. Nothing gets past Smithy. It's mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. Joined by Tana Walters this morning as uh, we look at uh, a story that's not so good, particularly if you're a, a racing fan in the Taranaki area, uh, Tana, and uh, it's been decided now because of the state of the track, and uh, it's happened way too often, uh, meetings here are on hold until they can come up with a better surface. Yeah, morning to you, Smithy. It, it is a bit of uh, a sad thing about racing that uh, I guess racing get abandoned and it makes sense to hold off racing there to, for the time being until they can get a safe surface. I was actually talking about this this morning with uh, well, Jamie Richards' father, actually, and was wondering, mm. why is it so hard? Uh, why are these horses slipping? And uh, is there something that we're missing? Is it common sense from, you know, they talk about from years ago that races weren't getting abandoned as much as they do nowadays, and it's hard to find a reason why it happens so often nowadays, the technology or, or probably lack of, maybe, but... Uh, it's definitely a shame everybody loses when races get called off too. So something they definitely need to look at in the, in the future. Uh, on a more positive note, uh, the derby not too far away. If I said to you, Tana Walters, right now you can have your choice of rides, uh, what would it be this far out? Uh, give me Lark Creek, please. It's it's that good, that much better? Uh, it is. It is at the moment, that's for sure. You know, it's proven to be... It's beaten probably the field that's going to be lining up in the derby. 
um, and has done it with ease too. Again, back at Ellerslie with the, the, the Derby King on board, Vinnie Colgan. So it'll be paying $2.40 on closing, I'd say. It's going to be short indeed. Uh, before that, though, what, what, are, uh, what racing have we got coming up specifically uh, this weekend? I know the, uh, the autumn focus is starting to come into, a, into Australia, so uh, what, have, uh, what have we got coming up here leading into the derby? Yeah, so this Saturday there's a group one actually uh, at, at Otaki down the lines. It's the, the Wait for Age Classic there, and um, I know Jamie Richards has got three of... Uh, three class horses going for it, like uh, Madalena. She was uh, the Oaks winner of last year. Actually, at my home track here in Matamata too, we've got one of my favourite days on the race course, the, the Matamata Breeder Stakes at Group 2 level. Uh, there'll be many people, a lot of the locals really love trying to win that race too. So you've got the, the Breeder Stakes here at Matamata and the Group 1 Otaki Wait for Age race. Okay, th- Thanks very much, Detainer Walters. Quickly over to uh, BP at the TAB. What have you got on the plate today for us, BP? A couple of cricket games, Smithy. First of all, we'll talk about the White Ferns. Not a lot of cricket being played there at the moment. It's weather for the Ducks, but we will tell you that the White Ferns are well supported at $1.51. But I can tell you, Auckland in the Ford Trophy, we've had two $1,000 bets to beat the, uh, the Otago Vaults. They're hovering around $1.40. They're at the crease now with Martin Guptill, Best back to be the leading run scorer, along with Glenn Phillips, who pumped the big 100 there on Sunday. All the best with your bets. That match is about to start, where Auckland are well favoured at 140. Thanks, BP. Brendan Popple there from the TAB. We shall be uh, speaking at some stage in the next hour uh, to Ashley Tullock. Ashley is uh, very lucky. She just uh, goes around the world commentating Olympic, Winter Olympic, Summer Olympic, all the big events. Or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. Yeah, a couple of other entries, I guess, into the text uh, of the morning in terms of uh, the Hurricanes, former Hurricanes or current Hurricanes who uh, you admire the most during the history of that franchise. Uh, yes, Kevin Barrett did play. Smiley Barrett played uh, in 1997. He was drafted into the Hurricanes. Uh, so yes, uh, a whole father and uh, son thing there going on. Uh, ben Herring, uh, open side flanker. Ben Herring, of course. What about Thomas, uh, the tank, Thomas Waldron? Uh, always a uh, very uh, favourite hurricane for uh, a lot of reasons. So yeah, I mean, uh, we'll go through that at uh, 11.40. So um, it's just opinion, just um, someone, one man's opinion. In our case, two men's opinions. Auckland Aces are six uh, without loss. Uh, in the first over, so uh, opening the batting for them this morning, Martin Guptill and George Worker. George Worker, of course, former Central Districts, uh, applying his trade up there in Auckland. That game is uh, being played at uh, the Kennards Higher Community Oval, otherwise known as the background at Eden Park. Now, John, you've got some uh, news uh, out of the White Ferns. Now, first thing we should say is the, the game that was uh, supposed to be underway now is on hold because of rain in the John Davies uh, oval area down there in Queenstown and the forecast not looking too flash but even more concerning news coming out of the camp 
Yeah, absolutely, Smithy. Of course, they're in Queenstown for the entire series, a bit like how the Black Caps in South Africa are in Christchurch to kind of try and limit the chance of getting COVID. Well, I can tell you White Ferns batter Brooke Halliday is unavailable for selection for the remainder of the series against India. She has been deemed to be a close contact of a COVID-19 case. Halliday dined outside with her partner, who has subsequently tested positive for COVID-19, so an extremely close contact there, uh, therefore required to isolate in her hotel for seven days. So if Halliday returns a negative COVID test, which she did yesterday, she's going to be tested again on day five. And if that is negative again, she can rejoin the squad on Friday, Smithy. Uh, so they're saying quickly here that Brooke Halliday and her partner have followed all of the government and team health protocols. So nothing has been broken here, but Halliday's partner has got COVID. Halliday has been out dining with her outdoors. And I think when it comes to Omicron, it's tough to catch it if you're both outdoors. So hoping for the best for Brock. One negative test so far for her. Uh, and then the rest of the team, Smithy, a lot of uh, team news. Leah Tahuhu, Maddie Green and Fran Jonas are all of uh, unavailable for today's game. Green and Jonas both sustained lacerations on their hands. Uh, laceration, of course, a fancy word for a cut. So that's uh, Maddie Green and Fran Jonas and Leah Tahuhu will miss today's game as a precaution. She left the field during game three uh, and is available as a substitute fielder in ODI 4 if required. So a lot going on in Queenstown with the White Ferns, Smithy. I just wonder too um, what's going to happen now with uh, protocols around the Women's World Cup. Uh, I've got a vested interest because I'm uh, going to be commentating in it, but I just wonder how strict, John, when you can see how easily it can be passed on, how strict the protocols are going to be around the Women's World Cup uh, now because so much money, so much investment, uh, so much gone into it, uh, whether they uh, on the... the you know, on the basis of this just being out for dinner with a partner um, can uh, put a whole threat on a whole tournament. What left now? What, what measures do they have to take? Yeah, exactly. And how big a squad do you have to bring over? I mean, that's what we've seen in the NBA. Um, I think that's been most affected by COVID. So many players just coming in and out of that competition all year. It's been a nightmare if you're a, uh, an owner of a fantasy team like myself. But uh, I think the easy thing for NBA is that they've got the G League underneath and they can just grab players constantly and feed them in. But when we're talking about Super Rugby here with Moana Pacifica, you can't just grab players from anywhere. Uh, same with Women's World Cup when they've flown over here, had to do isolation, Smithy. You can't grab players. So as soon as you have a handful uh, with injuries and close contacts, all of a sudden we could see uh, Women's Cricket World Cup games postponed. Uh, or dare I say it, even cancelled Smithy. So we're seeing examples here um, with the White Ferns and with Super Rugby of just how quickly these things can catch on and you've got to go by the government protocols. You've got to do your stand-down period. So I think we're just coming into a period here of mass uncertainty, Smithy. We've seen it a bit in the Aussie leagues as well with the breakers and stuff, having to take weeks off at a time. You can't do that at World Cups. Well, let's let's look at this um, a bit more practically, shall we? All these teams that are coming over here have experienced a lot worse COVID than we have in their countries. All of them, every single one of them, have been through a lot more uh, and come out the other end of it. Uh, and also, in all honesty, uh, where are you safer at the moment? You're safer in MIQ in this country uh, as opposed to being out in the streets. Apparently, it's uh, if you read the figures, I don't know if anyone in MIQ is getting it, uh, but everyone that out in the streets apparently is going to get it. We're going to have 80,000 people, if, if you believe uh, the people in the know, we're going to have 80,000 people a day uh, are going to be with this uh, this particular strain of the virus. 
uh, which is going to you know ruin any chance you've got of getting into hospital or anything of that nature. I mean, it's just such a pessimistic, absolute attitude. It amazes me that they're actually uh, having a World Cup anyway. But my, I think my original point uh, is that uh, they're a lot more hardened to it than we are. Uh, I think they know a little bit more about it than we do. Uh, we're living in this uh, this culture. I think that uh, we're scared of it. We're fear fear uh, in fear of it. Um, and oh, well, a lot of people are anyway. And I just wonder whether we just get on with it. Someone in your group's got a cold. Someone in your group's got a heavy flu. Isolate them. Uh, but don't call off the game. Don't call off the game for the sake of that. Not for me anyway. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting that a world, don't. Threaten a World Cup at any stage because of that. No, it's interesting with this Brooke Halliday case that she's a close contact of her partner, but the White Ferns themselves aren't a close contact of Brooke Halliday's. So maybe there is a slight easing of the way that they deal with these things, Smithy. And once you're double jabbed and boosted, uh, the chances of getting really badly sick and going to hospital are, are very minimal with Omicron. So it looks like things are just naturally easing with the strain itself. So hopefully, uh, touch wood, because we're looking forward to these World Cups that we're hosting. And I find the Women's Cricket World Cup is the first one, first cab off the rank. It's going to show us whether we can actually do this with the Rugby World Cup later on this year and, of course, uh, with the Football World Cup next year. Here's another thing, John. Uh, I know this is uh, we're just filling time here a little bit uh, for a second, but would you protest? Are you pro protest? Or I mean, if someone I throw a petition under your nose and said sign one way or the other, uh, have you got an opinion? You've got an opinion on most things. I do have an opinion on most things. I just think this uh, thing is naturally happening itself, and what they're protesting in Wellington. What is it? Anti mandates. Well, I think the mandates are going to disappear as, as Omicron comes in and is less severe and we're um, getting more and more vaccinated as a country and it's less of a threat. So I think these things are naturally happening anyway. I don't think it's worth protesting. What about you, Smithy? You, you've been tempted to head to Wellington? Oh, threw it back at me, eh? Just like that. <laughs> have, I been, uh, temp- have I been tempted to head to Wellington? No, um, I haven't. Um, I, I uh, also um, believe that everyone has the right to protest in a certain manner. I don't think you should be able to hold up um, natural progression of life uh, as they have here to have done it in a lot of uh, areas around Wellington. I don't think that's on. I do not believe in uh, throwing uh, anything at police, uh, let alone the stuff that they're supposed to have been throwing at them. And I, I, I honestly, um, myself personally, um, I just wanted to know why someone from Parliament hasn't come out onto the steps, someone in high power hasn't come out on the steps and said, what do we need to do? What do we need to talk about? Let's disband this and talk about it like normal human beings. And they've locked themselves away and refused to even front them. I think that has been the biggest mistake. Anyway, we've got to move on. It's 11.12 here on SENZ. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, making the Olympics is a dream or a goal for any athletes uh, that call New Zealand home, of course. But what about on the other side of the field? Uh, I'm talking about the reporters here telling their stories. Now, Ashley Tullock is one who's living the dream, travelling the world and covering all manner of sports for the Olympic Channel. What a job. With the Winter Olympics all wrapped up now, she joins us on SENZ uh, from the airport in Beijing. It's an early start for you, uh, Tay. Ashley, thanks very much for coming on. But you're... You're up anyway because you're you're getting out of town, aren't you? Yeah, that's exactly right, mate. We are headed on out. It's kind of surreal, actually. I mean, you know how it is after a big event. 
you kind of don't know how to feel. You're sort of happy and sad all at once. Okay, well, let, let, you must be happy about uh, this particular New Zealand performance. Um, I know you're working on behalf of the uh, Olympic Channel, but w- what has been um, the reaction uh, and your feelings about this particular campaign? You know, I think that the Kiwis went in with high expectations, and I think as New Zealand fans, you know, everyone was expecting that they were going to do particularly well. And when we looked at, you know, Nico Porteous and Zoe Sadowski, we looked at what they did when they were 16-year-olds four years ago in Pyeongchang, and there was a real expectation that they were going to be able to step up. And I think what kind of was concerning about these games is that there was so much more going on outside of the actual sport. You know, in order for the athletes to even just get here, to go through all of the various COVID protocols, just life in general is so much more complicated than it used to be. So in order for them to turn up to do the job, uh, considering what's actually going on outside of the sport, I think that was the biggest achievement as well. I mean, many athletes I spoke to said they actually felt like they'd won simply by arriving, you know, because any given day you Mm. could literally wake up to a text message to say you're positive and, and that's out of your control. Uh, that that was one of the great side stories about it, and the fact that it proceeded and proceeded with um, uh, all the glitz and glamour that you would associate with a normal Olympics was great. What about from a New Zealand point of view, behind the the top two names that you've just mentioned? There was was it a, a an encouraging performance, bearing in mind the age of the team? Oh, I mean, absolutely, absolutely, and the pressure was so 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 on the two of them uh, because I think. You know, when you look at the likes of High Performance Sport New Zealand, you look at the NZOC, you know, they want these athletes to perform well. They want them to do well. And I think Nico and Zoe, you know, they're just two very humble down-to-earth Kiwis who, you know, were thrown into the spotlight at a young age and over the last four years have totally honed their crafts. You know, they've become uh, World Cup champions uh, and, and then also X Games winners. Both of them have just basically done the hard graft, done you know, the work to not only actually win, but also gain the credibility of their competitors. That was was one of the things that I just couldn't get over is how much the other people, you know, you've got two-time defending champion David Wise, who just was raving about Nico. And he was saying, I'm actually glad to be giving the baton on to someone else because, you know, Nico is the future. And people rave about, you know, they aren't just incredible athletes, but they're awesome people. I mean, honestly, I cannot explain to you how much people love Zoe. Like within the community, within the snowboarding community, she is absolutely a, a rock star. I mean, I don't even know. Do you think people in New Zealand understand that, you know, globally how big these two are? Oh, I don't think so, Ashley. I think we've got a, a real uh, comeuppance in the last uh, two and a half weeks as to how big they are. We've, you know, we've tried to focus on it uh, throughout the X Games and looking forward to the the Winter Olympics, just how big they were on the world stage. But I, I think now we're just coming to terms with it, as I think we're coming to terms with yeah. a much more, uh, I think a much more open and accepting approach of the Winter Olympics as an event. Yeah, totally. And, you know, we've done two Olympics in less than six months, which is just, <laughs> I can't even begin to explain what it's felt like. But it's also just been such a huge privilege and an honor. And, you know, you do really just look at what these athletes have gone through. And, you know, there were a lot of really big names who actually, you know, respectfully could not cope with the pressure. And that's exactly what they said. It was just too much. And I think a big part of it, like I said before, was the other stuff that is happening in the rest of the world. And it just makes it so much 
harder to focus on what you go there to do because you know someone said to me just the other day you turn up and you spend the first couple of days at your first olympics looking around with your eyes wide just going oh my god you know just trying to make sense of it so as a young athlete to turn up and to kind of take in the oh my god factor of the olympics to take in the food the people the transport i mean all of it is just so amazing and then you've got to all of a sudden try and put that kind of uh amazement aside and focus on competing it's just I, i just don't know how they do it it truly blows me away every time you know we get the privilege to come and do this well you get closer the most because of your role you're, you're able to spend a, 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 i guess a lot more quality time with some of these athletes you get the access so uh for yeah. instance uh, you got that you got that close to nico the other day that you were the one that handed him uh, the flag, I understand that he was able to drape around him for the ceremonies, etc. So, I mean, you're close. Uh, you're close. And, 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 and I get, actually, being in the media is about building relationships. You're able to do that, which is a great skill. But tell us a, a wee bit about uh, Nico and, and uh, his brother, for instance. I think it's one of the coolest stories, this. Yeah, and, you know, it was just amazing because once – Nico came down and he did that last run. Miguel was there and they were just kind of quietly whispering to one another. And it was really beautiful because I think you see a lot of athletes come down and they're just making so much noise and everything is kind of crazy. But they, they actually took time to just sort of quietly like put their arms around one another. And also I'll say there was another athlete, Aaron Blunk, who actually qualified first for that final. Mm. He got injured on the way down. And they didn't, you know, Nico and Miguel didn't jump around. Uh, they were super concerned about this other competitor. And they just stood there and they all waited. In fact, one athlete ran up the halfpipe to go check on him. Um, because this, this is such an incredible community. They all have each other's back. They're like family, you know. They spend more time together uh, than they do with their own families. But I was talking to Miguel on the train, actually, coming back into Beijing before the opening ceremony. And he was saying, you know, as they've got older, their parents just have got used to the fact that they are just saying goodbye. I'm not sure when I'm going to see you next, uh, particularly in this kind of uh, pandemic at the moment. It's like you just don't know when you are going to be able to get into the country. And, and look, we know things are opening up, um, but you just you do have to follow your dream and you have to go overseas, you know, with what these guys are doing. Uh, and they're fortunate that they do have each other. Um, I know Zoe at the moment is out competing or she's doing a, an event called Natural Selection, which is a backcountry uh, snowboarding event. And she's on her own. She's not there with any of her team and, and her coach. And, and that said to me, you know, she doesn't need, need us because she's got this family. She's got this incredible group of snowboarders who love her, who respect her and who look after her. Um, so it's, it's pretty cool that they, you know, they all have each other's back. And, you know, I, I love saying that, you know, Kiwi birds can't fly, but these Kiwis really can, and I think they do. I think they just, they represent our country so well. It's, it's yeah, I feel incredibly proud after a couple of years of feeling on a personal level quite sort of disengaged and disconnected from my home country because I physically couldn't get back. This game's really just made me feel so much more connected to home, and I think, you know, having these athletes who represent our country so well um, is, is really just, it's, it's hard to put in words, actually. It's really special. So overall, Ashley, did it, did Beijing put on a good show? I mean, the, spec, the, the facilities look spectacular. I mean, it, uh, and the competition itself were, was amazing. But overall, uh, how do you, as you leave Beijing first thing this morning, uh, did they put on a good show for you? 
Yeah, honestly, I I usually finish a game feeling quite tired, <laughs> and I'm tired now. But I actually just have so much joy and so many good memories because I feel like there was just this, this feeling at one point where it's like we don't know what we're going into. We just don't know what it's going to be like here. Um, and I think truly it exceeded all my expectations. I have, and this is going to sound a bit gross, but all my skin is falling off my fingers because I have frostbite because the day that Nico won was minus 36 real feel. So, you know, we're out there, we're in the elements, we're kind of enjoying this mad, crazy adventure. Uh, and we're inside this closed loop bubble. So we didn't interact with anyone from outside the Olympic world. Um, and, and so we're kind of looking over, we're on buses and we're driving past things and we can't actually go outside. So we're not talking to people outside this this bubble. And you've got all of these incredible volunteers. They're wearing hazmat suits, uh, which is quite surreal because I'm so used to it now. You don't even blink twice. But the people here have just mm. truly given their all. Uh, they just were so welcoming. Um, I mean, truly, I can't say enough about how special, unique and positive the experience has been and the conditions as well. All the athletes say like the half pipe was just looked after so immaculately. Uh, the slope style as well was beautiful. I didn't get a chance to actually physically get down to big air, but that was the one that all my colleagues said we're totally converted. We are big air fans. So uh, I think, you know, this was a really, really incredible moment for the world to also come together and i think we needed this um and you know what's crazy Smithy, is that we're already looking ahead to paris we're already looking ahead to milano mm. cortina d'ampezzo there's there's all these events that are just around the corner um so for now you know let's relish in what's what's happened and let's see what the future looks like um i think it's also a good reminder that you know after the games these athletes have to decompress they have to kind of work out what just happened some of them would have had the time of their lives some of them would have you know all come away from it not feeling too great and i think that's something we also need to consider is protecting these athletes and giving them the time and space to kind of go through that because everyone's journey is you know we're all humans it's also totally different what was the bummer story the bad one what do you mean <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, it's all glossy, it's all very nice, but we know that uh, things don't always go to plan. And there was uh, obviously the, Rus the little Russian skater, etc. Uh, there yeah. was the, the double, standard, double standard look out of jealousy, I suppose, for Gu Eileen. Uh, so there, there was, mm. uh, you know, there was downsides, obviously. Yeah, I mean, it is tricky also, like, when you've got judged sports, right? Because it's not like it's black and white. And I think there's always going to be these challenges and there's always going to be different opinions. Um, for me, you know, obviously, uh, with with the figure skating, it's super complicated. And, and I won't go into it because, you know, I'm not a figure skating expert and the case isn't something I've been covering um, super closely. But I think at the end of the day, the saddest thing is that you know, she's a 15 year old, you know, <laughs> and that's what, it, that's what it comes down to mm. is these athletes are humans and uh, they go through so much to be here. And sometimes I think we forget that, you know, it's easy to think that they are these incredible, amazing superheroes, but they're also humans too. And, you know, like I said before, I think that's really important to keep those sort of values and, and those ideas in mind, because we just have no idea of the struggles and everything that they're going through. I think we get a glimpse of it sometimes, um, but I think that's the most important thing at this point. And, you know, the athletes who, who are also injured, I always come away from these games and I was saying to a colleague last night, you know, that's the thing is when you're watching that, when I'm watching the halfpipe, I'm always thinking, I really hope 
that nothing is going to go wrong because you just don't know like it's not like you can press pause or rewind or fast forward it's all happening in real time mm. um and injuries as you know are very 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 real so i think mm. you know let's see what happens moving forward but um thankfully i have to say there wasn't there wasn't too many bummer moments for me good hey well ashley i can tell you this uh, here's something for you to look forward to. It's 24 degrees, fine and warm in Fokatani today. <laughs> oh, that sounds very nice. The sunshine capital. Is it still the sunshine capital or is Nelson still? Who, who's got the got the t- trophy for that at the moment? It goes backwards and forwards. <laughs> uh, I think it's Nelson. I think it's Nelson. But uh, uh, you're going to have to uh, endure a flight and, and then a little bit of quarantine and then you can bask in it. Hey, it's been great. Uh, it's been great catching up with you. Actually, yours is a good story. I'd love to talk to you a, a lot more, actually, because you've, uh, you've got a unique job that uh, I would imagine millions and millions of journalists would, uh, would like at certain times of the year. So, uh, hey, thank you, Ashley, for your time this morning. Travel safe, stay safe, uh, and uh, as I say, I'd love to catch up with you again at some stage. Thank you. Yeah, let's do that. Thanks, mate. Yeah, cheers. Ashley Tullock there. Uh, the dream job. Um, getting up close and personal with the stars of the Olympic summer and winter. Uh, and it is um, just a wonderful occupation, and she's very, very good at it, and she knows how to get the stories out of the people. Uh, it is 11.31. I don't know if she's ever covered the winner of a Stump Smithy. That would be an interesting thing for her to look into. Uh, but we're going to do that now and find a new one, hopefully. Uh, it is uh, 0800 150811. That's our phone number. Uh, time to get on the phone now, 50 bucks worth of uh, vouchers from the TAB and some sleep drops as well are up for grabs this morning here on SENZ. Good luck. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. There it goes. A little bit of Richie Benno on Richie Benno Day, 22nd of the Chew 2022. Uh, and it is your opportunity, of course, as we do every day after the 11.30 news to win $50 worth of TAB vouchers and some sleep drops. Daytime Revive, they are New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements. And a town near to where I grew up, but not quite, is where our first caller is from, and that's Morgan from Marlborough. Good morning to you. What part of Marlborough are you from, Morgan? Just in Blenheim, mate. Just in Blenheim. Just in Blenheim, Beavertown, and how are things there? We were talking about uh, being the sunshine capital of New Zealand. We had Ashley Tullock from Fakatane. I'm from Nelson. Blenheim gets its fair share. Yeah, we don't need to brag about it, though, mate. Everyone knows. <laughs> well, there's not a lot else going on there, is there? Oh, a lot, a lot of wineries. Yeah, you certainly do, and that needs a lot of sunshine. Well, you could make 50 bucks and win some sleep drops, Morgan. You know how the game works? Yeah, I got a rough idea, I think. Yep. All right, I'll outline it to you and to anyone else who may be a first-timer. I give three sporting categories, then the caller chooses one. If they answer all three questions correctly, they win. But as soon as they get one wrong, Smithy can come in, and if he gets the right answer, he can stump them and send them on their way. So your categories today, Morgan, football slash soccer, basketball and golf. Do you like any of those? Oh, not really. I was hoping for a bit of league or rugby, but um, oh, go, go football. Football. Okay, well, you like rugby and you like league, but you're going football. Good luck to you. Hopefully you don't score three own goals during this quiz. Too soon? I've scored a goal in my life, mate, so I'll be happy with an own goal. (laughs) Any goal's a good goal. All right, Morgan, question number one. The Wellington Phoenix joined the A-League competition in the 2007-08 season. Which New Zealand team did the Phoenix replace? 
other than the Kennys of the North. Who was first? The Knights. No, I think they replaced the Knights, yeah. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. You would remember those teams, Smithy, the New Zealand Knights? I do. I remember them. They were based out of Auckland, of course, as opposed to uh, the Wellington Phoenix, but uh, they might have, I might have just struggled to, to get them, but uh, that's a good start. It's a really good start, Morgan, encouraging. Exactly. Knew both of them as well. The Football Kings with a Z, I think, on Kings as well. What a name that was. All right, question number two, Morgan. Chris Wood is one of New Zealand's top strikers today. When did he make his Premier League debut? What year? 2011. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Thought we'd hear from Richie Benno today. Uh, Smithy, not correct, so a chance for a stumping. When did Chris uh, Wood make his Premier League debut? What year? Yeah, a lot later than that, I, I think, John. A, a lot later than that. Um, and I, I'm destined to be thinking that it was uh, around 2016. One of the worst things <laughs> I have ever seen done on a cricket field. 2014, so he's been in the Premier League for that long. He came on in the 79th wow. minute of Leicester's first match of the Premier League season after they got promoted at home to Everton. Seven minutes later, he scored the equaliser and the two all draw. So not bad from Woodsy there for his old team at Leicester before he went to Burnley and now Newcastle. So still alive, Morgan. Last question, mate. Who is the most recent player to score a goal for the All-Whites at the FIFA World Cup? Can you remember last time the All-Whites were at the FIFA World Cup? The last game they scored was against Italy. They didn't score against Paraguay, and I think it was Shane Smeltz. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Well done, Morgan. You get 50 bucks from the TAB and those sleep drops. Check them out, sleepdrops.co.nz for all ages, lifestyle stages, and sleeping challenges, but read the label and take as directed. Jeez, that was a good memory there, Smithy. Who did Winston Reid score against? Slovakia. Oh, right. There you go. Thanks very much, Morgan. For someone who's not an expert on football, <laughs> yeah. you're not too bad, brother. I can tell you that. Got them just rolling off your tongue. Uh, congratulations too, mate, by the way. Uh, first time winner. And uh, obviously, 100% record. Stay on the line, uh, and Brian will get your details, and uh, we look forward to taking you on again at some stage again in the future. Uh, but well done today. That's Morgan from Marlborough. A little bit of alliteration there. So 11.39 here. Uh, when we come back, uh, John Day and I will be talking about our four most famous or favourite hurricanes. Voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. <laughs> It is Star Spangled Banner there from uh, Jimi Hendrix, which means we're heading to Mount Rushmore, and this time we're, we're doing it uh, for our favourite hurricanes, our four favourite hurricanes. And John, I shall give you the honour in your last week. Yes, my last time climbing up Mount Rushmore. We've done it so many times, and I was hoping we'd do Crusaders today, Smithy, given they're my team, but <laughs> you've made me do the Hurricanes, probably my, my least favourite of the New Zealand franchises. <laughs> Um, and my first entry onto my Mount Rushmore of Hurricanes, well, 
Without him, I think they'd still have zero titles. Um, and he delivered them one. So for me, this guy has to be on the Mount Rushmore. Salvi is playing in the halfback role. Oh, they've thrown it short. And oh, the Lions have lost it. A dive. Barrett reckons he scored. Right, now this will tell us. And that's pretty conclusive. Yes, it is. Glenn, you may award the try. Well, why not? Why not Bowden Barrett? Why not Bowden Barrett? Of course, 2016, he scored in the final against the Lions. That's what you heard there. Just an opportunistic try. And the bounce of the ball, just for, it seemed, for years on end, always went Bowden Barrett's way. And many good players tried before him, Smithy and the Hurricanes, all the greats that they had. They couldn't bring a title to Wellington, but Bowden Barrett did. And so for that, I think Bowden Barrett deserves to be in the top four on Mount Rushmore for the Canes. Okay, okay, fair enough. I've I got to say, Bowden Barrett's not in my top four. Um, perhaps because he defected and left us, maybe. I'm not sure about that. But he's a guy who stuck with him through hell and cold weather and high water and everything and is still there. Uh, and is one of, uh, I think, uh, with gestures towards club rugby, etc. I think one of the great guys of Wellington rugby. And uh, he isn't far from finished yet. Offside, blue back line. There's space away on the right though. Wilson moves it on quickly. There's Coles! Dane Coles! Scores! Oh, what a response! The finish was spectacular, but look at the handling skills here. Arsenal out wide and Houston. Whoa! And the finish from the hooker. We've seen this many times in the black jersey. Yes, out of the Poniki Club, Dane Coles. Uh for me, it was one of the first names I thought of, actually, uh, because of his service to uh, the Hurricanes and ability to bounce back from injury the whole time and uh, his speed on the park. Uh, you just feel safe when Dane Coles is out there. So for me, worthy. Yeah, no one probably loves the Hurricanes jersey more, I'd say, than Dane Coles. And it came to heart, he'd be number one. Uh, for me, my next entry, he just uh, when I think of the Hurricanes, this is the guy who I see. Uh, he, he went to other teams as well I think he had a stint at the Chiefs He had a stint coaching at the Blues But for me, this guy will always mean the Hurricanes to me It's a turnover ball Disappointment, Iremia Munga going, he's got outside gap Inside to Iremia Lama Iremia, he's got space and time There's speed on the inside Umanga, he's there, he's strong enough He's over A five-pointer for the Wellington Hurricanes very disappointment all round and happiness from the Wellington Hurricanes. A super, super try from turnover ball in their own 25. Tana Umanga. Uh, just an amazing hurricane he had the short hair when he first started with them I think in 96 he had a short back and sides and then he grew those dreads which we knew and loved, moved in from the wing into the centre role was the captain, was a fantastic captain for the Hurricanes, I always thought it was unfortunate he didn't win a Super Rugby title but for me Tana Umanga deserves to be on the Mount Rushmore of Hurricane Smithy Yeah I wouldn't argue too much with that to be fair uh, our great leader, inspiration uh, and still talked about very fondly in uh, hurricane circles as we speak, even though he has gone further north um, to uh, take up the coaching role in a number of particular areas. So uh, Tana Rumunga, no problem there. Uh, I'm going for a guy in the midfield. Uh, Tana played on the wing, but in the midfield as well. I'm going for a midfield guy who just, uh, I said, safe about Dane Coles. I feel even safer with this fellow from Taranaki. Americans still have it. Eaton. Someone to pass 
Oh, it's another beauty from the Hurricanes, and what a time to come. Bowden Barrett hardly had an opportunity to run throughout the match. They looked down and out against this blue side, and they've come up with a piece of magic. Injury time to beat the Blues. Uh, that particular try from Conrad Smith and Tony Johnson summed up. You need someone. You need someone. Uh, and who was there? Conrad Smith to pass through. You need someone to clean it up when it's all gone wrong in midfield. Conrad Smith. You need someone to make a tackle at the right time. Conrad Smith. Conrad Smith, my number three. Fair enough. And he tidied up the Hurricanes. Remember Mark Hammett had to come in and do a clean out and then left it all up to kind of Conrad as the captain to kind of bring the franchise back. And uh, the year after he left, of course, they win the title. So Conrad Smith, an amazing Hurricane. My number two, I think it might be similar to yours. In fact, I think we're pretty similar from here on in, Smithy. Jerry Collins. Jones. One of the few times he's let it go to his outside and uh, Mark Taylor from Swansea makes it inside All Black Territory. Jarvis straight into Collins. How's that for a tackle? Take that. And now. Have a look at this. He was at the advantage lines. Collins hit him so aggressively and just gave him the message. I think we all remember that tackle. It wasn't for the Hurricanes, it was for the All Blacks against Colin Chavis, but no one hit like Jerry Smithy and that haircut. I mean, everything about him was just box office. Almost like a, like Dennis Rodman without being kind of grisly or like turning the public off him. I just felt like he was a cult hero, but he was more than that. He was just so good for the Canes and just a guy you tuned in for and he just bent over defenders at will and just was an amazing, amazing six. And I know Jerome Kano found, uh, followed him, but we haven't found many like Jerry Collins, have we? No, we haven't. And uh, he is my number two, you're right. Um, and, of course, he had leadership roles within the, the Hurricanes as well, and he was an all-black captain, Jerry Collins. Yeah. And I, I just, uh, he was one of those guys that had that look on his face that, you know, when it didn't go too well, uh, do you mind if I interview you? Not, you have to be interviewed here, Jerry. Or <laughs> is it okay if I ask you a couple of questions? He just had that look on his face that, a uh, number of uh, opposition players saw from time to time close up. So, uh, yeah, no problem with that. So, um, And the last one is Grant Nisbet's greatest rugby player of all time. And uh, I, I don't think you can argue too much with it. Uh, if you love rugby, if you love the beauty of rugby, um, then this guy's got to be close to number one, doesn't he? Wellington Habits. He's coming. Bit of room here. He's through. What a bust here by Christian Cullen. Plenty of support and what a dummy. Absolutely magnificent. Length of the field stuff. What a touch. Sensational individual performance. You won't see better than that from deep on defence. Yep, Christian Cullen's my number one too, Smithy. Sarah Hidany, we opened the show with her. That was her favourite, Hurricane as well. And I wouldn't be surprised if all our listeners now go watch YouTube for the rest of the day and Christian Cullen highlights. Yep, I wouldn't be surprised at that. So that was our uh, Mount Rushmore for this particular Tuesday. Um, and a couple of texts just before we uh, get to uh, Tony. Um, uh, Smithy, uh, I thought this is a uh, politic, talking politics, Smithy, if if. if if, if, I won't say that. This is a sports station, is it not? Yes, you did, right. It is a sports station. Uh, so uh, uh, we do have uh, a little view on politics every now and then, about 0.5% of the time. So I hope it didn't offend you that we might even talk about something that's putting the country on standby, etc. Uh, I'm not sure if you watch the 6 o'clock news, but it's on. Uh, and to you too, Jim, from Tamuka. Uh, stick to sports, Smithy. You're sounding like a knob end. Well, uh, Jim, you're sounding like a knob end. 
uh, to be honest, because I've been paying tax in this country for 47 years, probably longer than you, Jim, uh, probably a lot more than you, Jim. And if I want to have uh, 10 seconds worth of politics on my show, I will. So at the end of the day, Jim, you are the knob end and you're sounding like a current politician. It is 11.53.